This is the Straight Truth Podcast, biblical answers to difficult questions from a Christian worldview. Well, I have a couple questions I want to ask as it relates to dating and then premarital counseling leading up to marriage. And we often get questions, let's be honest, about this. Uh, the first one I want to throw at you, though, is, is one that's become increasingly uh, a more popular question, which is, uh, should I use an online dating service to, to seek out somebody to date? As a Christian, let's say this from a Christian standpoint, should I go to one of these sites to find someone to date and that would maybe hopefully be my spouse one day? Good intentions all around. Let's start there. Is that healthy and good in your opinion? I don't think we can say it's sinful uh, okay. to do that. And I've known couples in recent years who met each other that way mm-hmm. and they both love the Lord. And they ended up getting married, and they have a good marriage today. So I don't think we can rule that out. Hmm. When you think about the standards for marriage, obviously the standard is in Christ okay. as, a, as a Christian. I'm mm-hmm. to, to, to uh, desire and to find someone who is in the Lord. And as long as they are eligible to be married by biblical standards, and I'm eligible to be married by biblical standards, then, is, then if they're in the Lord and we want to get married and we we love one another, we can do that according to Scripture. So the question is, how do you know if someone's in the Lord? I mean, how do, right. you, how do you know what their fruit is as compared to their profession? How do you know whether the evidences of genuine spiritual life are, are being manifested in their life? You have to know them. You have to spend time with them. Mm-hmm. And while some sort of dating service might make that initial introduction, you're still going to have to spend time with them to know that. What's most important is what you believe as Christians. Even as It's not even just enough to say, well, this person's a genuine Christian. All right. Now, what do you believe? What do you believe about the church? What do you believe about um, how to approach the Word of God? What do you believe about, I mean, name it, there are you know, thousands of subjects that you need to talk about and find out whether or not you agree with one another. That's why I would, uh, my preference would be, maybe this indicates my age, but I think you will not improve upon the local church as mm-hmm. the place where you find the person you're going to marry one day. Mm-hmm. It's a community of faith in which you get to know each other and you, you live life together as Christians. You get to watch each other's lives. You mm-hmm. get to go through ups and downs together. So that by the time you, you actually date that person, you know something about them, mm-hmm. hopefully. Mm-hmm. And you're able to watch them, watch mm-hmm. their lives. So... I don't think you can improve upon the local church. I would also uh, say Christian families can be so strategic in this, especially in the context of the local church. Mm. So families that have have spent years together, and now their children have grown up. And mm-hmm. and so you not only know something about that individual, you know something about their family history and the belief system that's present in their family. This becomes very important when you talk about issues like divorce, mm. the permanence of marriage and how you're... How, what kind of model has this person had set before them in terms of how to navigate marital conflict? All these things can be very important. So, so while I have seen firsthand that the Lord has worked through some sort of dating service to link people up, and while I cannot say that that's uh, condemned in Scripture, I would still exhort people to, to remember the role of the church in your life and mm-hmm. how important the local church is. So an, another question that follows that then is let's say this, this maybe these couples you've counseled before, maybe known who've gone through this and have had a successful, I guess, relationship and then marriage. 
Um, you emphasize pretty strongly premarital counseling to mm. leading up to marriage. How, how can that happen if you have an online relationship taking place outside of the context of the local church? Yeah, you can't, and not, not effectively anyway. So as I said, even though a dating service might link two people up, they still have to walk through this together. Mm. Now, where this could become difficult is if they've met in different states. You know, yeah, or they're countries. Having, yeah, different countries. We've known mm-hmm. that, yeah. haven't we? We've, we've seen that situation. And uh, it's going to present some real difficulties. That's yeah. the best that I can say. Well, what is the? Let's just say this: How important is the counseling that it's you very do important before marriage? Because now it's not just the two of you getting to know each other; mm-hmm. it's someone probing that mm-hmm. who loves the both of you, someone who has the Word of God in hand, someone who has spiritual wisdom due to years of walking with Christ. Hopefully, I mean, I'm setting up the ideal scenario: someone who uh, himself has a long-term marriage that, that is proven. And so they understand the conflicts and the difficulties that are involved in every marriage. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're, gonna, they're gonna look at you in the face and ask you some really hard questions and press on, on some issues that you need to think about that you would, you wouldn't just occur to you outside of that kind of influence. It's very important. And so at some point, I, I say, even if you've met someone that's across state lines or in another country, you need to together sit down with someone before you get married and go through that kind of counseling. It helps prepare you for that, that wedding day and, and your future. Does that person need to be a pastor? I think ideally it is a pastor. I, I think we've diminished the importance of the local church in our day. Hmm. I, would, I would strongly exhort that that person be a pastor. Pastor, next question is uh, really from a woman's perspective. This, this question came in from, a, um, uh, from a, a female listener. And her question is this, you know, where's the line of submission in dating when you're not married? And, and what she means um, is, you know, it, it, let's, just, let's just paint a couple scenarios. Number mm-hmm. one, if you're a young woman, uh, 21 years old, you're still living uh, at home, you're engaged to be married, uh, you're, but you're in your, your father's household and you're submissive to your, to your father, uh, but now you're engaged to be married. You're pure. You're you're looking forward to this moment. Do you it, when when do you kind of shift over to being you know submissive in the Ephesians five sense to your future husband? Or is it marriage when that happens, or is it some earlier time? But then another scenario might be a little bit trickier. I'm interested in how you'll respond to this. Is that if you have um, a woman who is say 30 or maybe even 35 years old, getting married a bit later, and um, is now engaged, um, but maybe she's not even living at home. Um, how, how is it that she might be you know, submissive to her father? Um, mm-hmm. Is she under her father's roof? Um, and then also planning, also uh, scenarios just that she's pure, ready to be married, and, um, but planning to be married to another Christian man, is she submissive to him during, mm-hmm. that, during that time period? Yeah, or is it just marriage? Yeah, those are great questions. So if you think about the submission that exists in a marriage, you're talking about two roles that belong to a covenant relationship. To, to a one flesh bond. You have a head and you have a helper. Mm-hmm. So the husband's described as the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the man. So, so there's a headship, helper relationship that exists in marriage. Well, that is, is exclusive to marriage, mm-hmm. right? That, that doesn't exist in a dating relationship, that doesn't exist in a courtship, that exists in marriage. So I would say in, in, in the sense of submission, marital submission, no woman is submissive to a man prior to their marriage, not in that sense. Mm-hmm. Now, there's, there's that which pleases God in womanhood that ought to belong 
to the interactions that men and women have with one another. Men ought to be respectful of women in all settings. Women ought to deport, you know, carry themselves, handle themselves in a way that reflects what God loves in a woman. The Bible says he loves a meek and quiet spirit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a boisterousness, the, the kind of a, of a leadership demeanor that is masculine in nature, you, you don't want that in any setting if, if your desire is to be a godly woman. So I think even in the dating or courtship relationship, there's a sense in which a, a woman allows the person she's dating to take a, a lead role in ways. But I think some of these questions even sometimes, Josh, flow out of a misunderstanding of what submission is. You know, Jackie and I now have been married 39 years. You and Jim, Jen have been married a long time. I do believe that my wife fulfills what the scriptures teach about being a submissive wife. But we talk about everything. And mm-hmm. I, I don't make unilateral decisions. And mm-hmm. we talk about decisions that we make. And, yeah, right. and we correct one another. And, mm-hmm. and there's conversation and interaction. Mm-hmm. So I think if you have a misunderstanding of submission, it makes it almost a, a, a dictatory kind of relationship. Yeah, then you're not going to understand it, understand what I'm saying mm-hmm. about the dating or courtship process. Mm-hmm. So no, you're not submissive to him until you're married in the sense of marital submission. But you want to reflect godly womanhood mm. even in the dating process, yeah, and, and he does as well. In terms of the um, father of someone who's mm. 30 years old living on her own, you're still submissive to your father, in my view, until, until you're married. doesn't necessarily mean you're living under the same roof even. But again, if we remember what submission is, then there's a, a willingness to be inclined to the counsel, the oversight of someone else. And so even a 30-year-old woman living outside her home, if she has a believing father, sure, yeah. for sure. I mean, she, she ought to look to her dad for counsel, advice, leadership with respect to this person she's considering marrying. Having raised four children into adulthood, I can tell you, I, Jackie and I dealt with them differently when they were six than when they were 18. And mm-hmm. if your children are not taking on more and more of a sense of independence as they get older, you're crippling them. Mm-hmm. So I'm not mm-hmm. suggesting that a 30-year-old woman living outside the home is going to have the same relationship to her father as a 17-year-old. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying even though she's 30 and outside the home, she needs to be looking to her father until she's she's married. She needs to be looking to her father for some guidance, counsel, mm. direction. I think mm-hmm. that's healthy and, and biblically right. Mm. So as dads, we, we need to take that seriously. You know, you think about a, a wedding ceremony where a father gives away his yeah, daughter. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, what does that signify? Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a, a watchfulness there yeah, sure. that, that is being um, attested to when we give our daughter away in, in marriage. So uh, I'm thinking there could be a kind of um, kind of kind of odd um, entanglement here as it, as it relates to the the older woman. Um, 30 years old or even just 28 years old maybe she even has a career living out of, out of the home and now she's engaged mm-hmm. or, or now she she's in a dating relationship or maybe wanting to be is it that is it too much for for her to, she's seeking her father's advice but if the father's like no you shouldn't date this person or, or no you shouldn't mm-hmm. date this person and um, and it's not like a matter of godliness or, or, or are they a Christian or not it's it's kind of yeah. um, uh, uh, that dictating sort of thing you mentioned right. earlier that, that's 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 not correct. No, right? it's not correct. Yeah. And and submission, proper submission is submission in a way that accords with truth. Okay. Yeah. So 
we know from 1 Corinthians 7 what the requirements are for marriage. Mm-hmm. Paul, speaking of, of widows who desire to be remarried, mm-hmm. says, say, he said she can marry whomever she wants only in the Lord. Mm-hmm. So there's the requirement, yeah. a genuine believer. Now, we have to be honest with ourselves about whether or not we're dealing with a genuine believer. Sure. Right? People have said, I'm gonna, I want to marry him. He's a Christian. Yeah. There's no fruit not. in his yeah. life. Right. So, so if someone's asking me to, to obey them and it violates Scripture, I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to obey mm-hmm. the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So I would not suggest that some sort of bizarre, controlling kind of relationship yeah. is something that a woman has to you know, live a captive to. Mm-hmm. Not at all. I'm t- I'm, what I'm envisioning are healthy, godly families. Mm-hmm. You know, I have one son who, who was married when he was 30, and he mm-hmm. was still looking to me for counsel and advice. Yeah, yeah totally on his own, totally mm-hmm. a grown man living his own life. Mm-hmm. So it's that sort of thing that, that I envision is, is uh, 30 or 28 or 35. Mm-hmm. You know, until you get married, it's good to have a male figure in your life who is giving you counsel and oversight mm-hmm. and direction. And for that woman, it would be your dad. And yeah, and you submit to, to counsel that accords with Scripture. Pastor, this question has to do with, with, with couples, let's just say, coming to you for uh, pastoral counseling before they get married. I like to get kind of behind this, the, the, the curtain a little bit and, and to see what your process is. And I think this question lines up with that. So this person's asking, uh, they, for, for their whole life, they've kept themselves pure. They're ready to get married. But how important is it that their fiance is also, has also kept it pure before they get married? Um, is that a deal breaker for them in marriage? And then I've got a couple other questions I want to ask after you uh, answer that one. So let's first of all, magnify and celebrate the will of God given in Scripture, which is that a husband and wife, ideally, would get married one day, both having, by the grace of God, come to know Christ earlier in life and kept themselves for each other in marriage. So the day they get married, they've known no one else sexually but the person they're married to. Mm -hmm. What a wonderful, joyful, God-glorifying pathway that would represent. We don't want to diminish that in any way, and and that is what we're taught in Scripture, and that is what we put before the church, and that should be the aim of every believer who has saved it at a young enough age that they can pursue that pathway for a lifetime. We want to say that. Having said that, sin is forgiven by Christ, and when it's forgiven, it's forgiven. Mm-hmm. It's truly forgiven. It's forever forgiven, and the idea that Let's just assume we're, we're talking about one person who's kept themselves from marriage. Now they're, they meet a fellow believer mm-hmm. who's qualified to be married. So that's a whole other conversation about when we're free to be married and not with right. respect to divorce and remarriage, mm-hmm. those sorts of things. But there's nothing standing in the way of these two people marrying each other. They both know Christ. Because one is not a virgin and the other is, does that make the marriage something that's off limits? No, not at all. Forgiveness is real. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things we want to do, I think, in preparing people for marriage is talk about the practical realities that come about in life because of sin in a whole host of areas. I mean, it could, one person carrying a great amount of financial debt into the marriage and the other right. one not could create issues they're going to have to deal with in the future. The same could be true in this realm. So in any realm where sin has been committed, though it is forgiven, that's not to say that there are not sometimes repercussions that follow after would be inaccurate. There are. So you've got to be prepared for that and and ready to talk through it. But the idea that you can't have a God-glorifying, joyful marriage because one of the the 
people has sinned previously would just mm-hmm. be wrong. What are the deal breakers, let's say, for a Christian marriage? An unbeliever. Okay. I mean, that a believer is not to be married to an unbeliever. That the Bible is clear about that. I think another another deal breaker would be clear. Let's say both are believers and and have a genuine testimony. There, there still is a maturity level that I think is is wise for marriage. Sure. So when you say deal breaker, what what I would probably think of is more in terms of delay. You know, okay. let's let's don't enter into this until we know we're ready. Right. And so I think maturity is one of the things you want to consider. But outside of and the Bible makes it very simple, Josh, which I appreciate. You know, First Corinthians seven makes it really simple. Say. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you can marry the, the the widow who desires to remarry. She can mar- marry whomever she wants, only in the Lord. Mm-hmm. There, there's the qualification. Are they in Christ? Mm-hmm. And so we've talked about it before. I mean, my wife and I we got married at a very young age. I was nineteen. She was eighteen. We were immature in a lot of different ways, but here we are. We'll, we'll celebrate 38 years of marriage in three days, mm-hmm. and the Lord has, it's the sweetest relationship of my life. Mm-hmm. The qualification is genuine Christianity. Okay. So it, do I see evidence as this person really knows Jesus? I told, told my kids as they were growing up, I do pray for someone who will love you, mm-hmm. But more than that, I pray for someone who who loves Christ right. for you. Because if they love Christ, they'll love you. Yeah. And the day they don't love Christ is the day they won't love you well. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the qualification. So uh, I, I want to think about this same question, but from say the angle of a family member. So um, then maybe I can kind of paint a scenario here. Um, how does a family member respond to another family member, or maybe even just a friend? But let's just let's just say this is within a family. That is getting into a marriage that clearly doesn't honor the Lord. Let's say, for instance, you've got um, you've got a, a, um, a, a mother and father and, and, and children. Um, one child has decided to marry Christian family. Says she's a believer. Um, has decided to marry, say, uh, somebody of a different faith. Yeah, and and especially. You know, um, a strong contrast. Let's say, um, marry into Islam or. Got it. Um, or um, Mormonism, something like that. How does that Christian family respond to that? Do they do they support that marriage because it's marriage after all, or or um, do they help plan the marriage? Do, do they are, do they partake of all those things as it relates to the marriage? Yeah, no, I wouldn't participate in anything that violates Scripture in the life of someone who professes to be a Christian. So the scenario scenario you just gave me is a, mm-hmm. a family member who professes to be a believer. And now they're going to marry an unbeliever, and they're wanting my not only affirmation of it, they're wanting my participation in it. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. And this is where here's what we've lost in many cases, Josh, is biblical ecclesiology, right? The life of the church. So I'm asking if we've got a believer about to marry an unbeliever, where are their are the fellow believers calling them to account on this? Mm-hmm. What would you do about that? I mean, that's a discipline issue in the life of the church. Mm-hmm. So you go one-on-one, you go with two or more. Where are the elders of the church this person goes to? Mm-hmm. So it's more than just me and my loved one. If if we belong to a faithful church, I mean, I'm going to call to into the equation the elders and everybody else, yeah. try to save my professing loved one from this sin, and it will be a sin. So we've got to ask our family member, do you really know Christ? Yeah. I mean, are you going to hold on to this you're profession? Willing to do this. Yes. Yeah. If you're going to hold on to this profession that you know Jesus, then you're clearly about to violate his word. You know, will you, will you repent of this? 
and call them away from that. Mm-hmm. Now, let's take a, a different scenario. Okay. Let's say I've got a family member who's not a Christian, and they're going to marry someone who's not a Christian. Okay. Can I participate in that? Can I attend that? The answer is yes. And, and the reason why is I'm just loving them as, as their sibling. Mm. I'm going to continue to be a gospel witness to them. I'm going to continue to share the gospel with them. But they're not professing to be a Christ follower. Mm-hmm. There is a standard that's different for the person who professes to know Jesus as compared to the person who doesn't. Mm-hmm. And probably, the, the, I'll rephrase that, the best thing that would happen for some professing Christians is for them to come to grips with the fact that they don't know Jesus. Hmm. Right? Stop, stop pretending to know Christ and then you have no regard for what he teaches about this issue. Just admit you don't know him mm-hmm. if that's the case. And, and then I'm going to call you to repentance for salvation. Yeah. But if you profess to know Jesus, I'm going to hold you accountable to the standard of Scripture in this area. And so I cannot support you as a professing believer as you violate God's will knowingly in this area of your life. It's going to devastate you. It would not be me loving you mm-hmm. to affirm you in this. So I'm going to do everything in my um, area of responsibility to make sure that, that I try to rescue you from this. Well, in our churches, um, we have classes and programs for children. We often have those sort of classes for married couples, um, elderly, um, but we often don't have what some people would say a place for singles in, in our ministries. And, and maybe that's, that's true of some churches, certainly not true of, of our church here, but our question has to do with how, how, does, how does a church or maybe um, a pastor, how does one minister to singles in the church? They're obviously... Uh, in a situation, um, sort of an in-between situation, neither here nor there. They 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 were once an adolescent, now they're maturing, and and they're they're maybe wanting to be in a different place, such as a married uh, person, and sort of in this in-between uh, stage of life. How do you minister to singles? What sort of advice do you have to them? And uh, maybe what can the church do broadly? Well, I hope I hope. I will grow in my ability to minister to singles, and I pray that our church will as well. It is a difficult time for people. I think some of that has to do with wrong perspectives, even in the church, of singleness. I mean, our, our expectation is that everyone is going to get married, and that certainly is the norm. Mm-hmm. But the result of that is that sometimes we, I think we can contribute to singles feeling like there's something wrong with them especially if they're older and they're not yet married. Where do I fit in? Who can I hang out with? Again, if you're not college age, you know, if you're in your mid-30s or your 40s and you're not married, it can, it can lead to a sense of isolation and loneliness. And so I think one of the things we can do is just teach what the Bible teaches about the benefits of singleness. I mean, Paul wasn't shy about that. There are benefits to being mm-hmm. single. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing we can do is, is to celebrate the idea of godly living as a single person, if that's God's will for your life. So I think that's one thing that we can do. I think another thing we can do is, is um, and this is not just true with singles, is to decompartmentalize our churches, to realize that God has designed His church in such a way that we are all meant to contribute to each other's lives in our various stages of living. We have older people in our church, we have younger people in our church. Mm-hmm to compartmentalize the church in such a way where all the young people spend time together and all the older people spend, Mm -hmm. actually misses the point of a lot of New Testament teaching about fathers and 
young men, older men, young women, older women, and how they they uh, interact with each other and contribute to each other's lives. And so I think we include singles into that issue. What we could say is beware all the classes being for married people and then having a special class for singles. Can, can, can we set up something where singles are as welcome in mm-hmm. your Bible study class as somebody who's married? And, and they feel that way. And, and everyone feels that way. The married people expect it and the single people expect it. If we can you know, foster that kind of mindset, then we will better minister to single people. What are some of the advantages or blessings of, of being single in the ministry? Freedom mm-hmm. with respect to time, mm-hmm. with respect to travel, freedom with respect to concerns. Mm-hmm. You and I as married men, we've spent our lives concerned about how to provide for a wife, how to provide for children. In marriage, in family life, there are relational needs. And so you and I have to come home in the evening and we think about that. Right. Single person doesn't, doesn't deal with that. Mm-hmm. Freedom with respect to finances. We have financial obligations as married, married men, families. A single person, if he's, he or she is wise with their finances, will probably have much more flexibility to invest in kingdom work. When you think about the mission field, when you think about going places to serve Christ, much more difficult to uproot an entire family than to uproot a single mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Singles will especially show its advantages in times of persecution and trouble. If serious persecution were to ever break out in our country, you know, beyond uh, disapproval and mm-hmm. words, and you're dealing with things like possible pres- prison sentences or execution, uh, someone who's single has far less to concern themselves with than someone who's married. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you look at the advantages that Paul in 1 Corinthians, for example, will talk about with respect to singleness, just apply those to our culture and to our own lives, and they, and they still hold true. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would say. I would say to teach what the Bible teaches about the benefits of singleness, to stop treating single people as if they're not really into life yet until they get married, mm-hmm. to construct our churches in a way that actually accords with Scripture so we stop, com- stop compartmentalizing the church as much as we have and make it more free-flowing in terms of how ministry can occur, and then to remind our single people that these benefits the Bible talks about will certainly prove to be true when circumstances become more difficult in our culture. Thanks again for joining us for the Straight Truth Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Now, we'd love for you to share this podcast and others with friends and family. And the easiest way to do that is by going to our website, straighttruth.net, where you can find links to all of our social media channels. So be sure to like and subscribe to one of those channels and pass the word along. Also, if you could go to the iTunes podcast section and leave us a review, that will help us spread the word about this podcast. And if you would like to help us find ways to continue to produce this podcast, you can find more information by going to the website again, straighttruth.net. Now, Straight Truth is a production of Walking in Grace Ministries, the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Richard Caldwell. For more information, go to walkingandgrace.org.